<clears throat> right, we're going to finish our series um, from the letter to the Colossians today. So it's been uh, 15, <clears throat> 15 weeks, <clears throat> 15, <clears throat> sorry, uh, 15 sermons uh, in Colossians today, will be the 15th actually. Uh, so Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, where we have a uh, list of um, names and roles. Okay, hear the word of God. <clears throat> Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for, for you and for those in Laodicea and Heriopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the churches of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask, Lord, that as we hear your word now and as we think about its meaning for our lives, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word and that you would cause us to walk in it. Uh, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder here if there is anyone who enjoys watching movie credits. You know, the names rolling across the screen. Anyone enjoy watching movie credits? No one, right. Uh, is there anyone here who watches those Marvel movies? Because if there are, I'm sure that a lot of you have watched a lot of movie credits because Marvel put a little sneak peek of the next uh, step in the saga at the end of the movie credits, uh, which means that if you want to watch that little five or ten second um, snippet, you've got to sit through, I don't know, ten minutes of names rolling across the screen, which makes it really awkward in the cinema when you're the only one left waiting for this little thing while the cleaners are all gathering around you wanting to get on with all the vacuuming of the popcorn, uh, the cleaners must really hate uh, Marvel movies. But see, normally we don't sit through uh, movie credits because they're just a, a big long list of um, boring names. 
And uh, when you get to the end of um, some of the New Testament letters, sometimes it's tempting to um, treat it like the movie credits uh, because it's, you know, it's just a list of names. And when it comes to a list of names, that's only meaningful if your name is mentioned. Uh, this was written to people um, you know, thousands of years ago. And so we might think, well, this has some relevance for the, the original readers of the letter, but not so much to us today. And so we feel like we can check out early, uh, finish the series um, at verse 6. Uh, however, that would actually be to miss out on some extremely helpful teaching that is in this section that I just read. You know, all these names, people, events, things that were going on back in the day. Uh, Paul, he mentions his, his friends and his fellow workers, but what he's actually doing here, he's showing how the message that he has been writing about in the letter, how that message has worked out in the lives of real people in real local churches. Uh, each person he mentions has a story to tell, and it's a story about how the gospel has transformed them. And that's the, the gospel that Paul has been talking about right through the letter of Colossians. And when he gets to the end, he talks about all these people. Here's some real people with real-life struggles who have been transformed by this message, by this gospel. And I've been saying as we've gone through the letter to the Colossians, Colossians is all about how you have everything you need to know God, to be right with God, and to live a fruitful life. You have everything you need for that in Christ. It's all yours in Christ. We are complete in Christ, which is what I've called the series. And today we can see the outworking of that in these people that Paul mentions, particularly in three ways. We see that the working out of the gospel in the faithfulness that they showed, in the friendship they enjoyed, and in the fellowship they shared. So let's have a look at those three points. Uh, first, the, in the faithfulness they showed. So that's in verses 7 to 9, uh, where he talks about Tychicus, who will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Uh, in verse 9, Paul talks about Onesimus, again, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So Tychicus and Onesimus, uh, they were in this situation, Paul's couriers. So Paul, last week in verse 3, we saw that Paul um, was stuck in prison. So he couldn't go to the church at Colossae and talk about the um, struggles that they were facing and how the gospel uh, met those struggles. He had to send a letter, and there was no postal service in those days, like Australia Post. And so he needed some couriers. That's who Tychicus and Onesimus were. In their mailbag, they also had the letter to Philemon, which you'll find later in the New Testament. They most likely had the letter to the Ephesians as well. So it's a good thing those guys didn't get lost, uh, because there's some very important letters uh, in the Bible. Uh, but... Paul, he really commends these men. Like, he, he gives them these accolades that are top shelf. And in particular, he calls both of them faithful. They are faithful. That's what Paul highlights. Here's some men who are faithful. 
These are men that, that Paul could entrust with anything. And Tychicus especially, because Tychicus was the one who would not only deliver the letter, but he would, he would also read it out in the congregation. He would explain anything that needed further explanation. And Paul knew he could rely on Tychicus because Tychicus had been with Paul through thick and thin. Uh, he, his name actually comes up a lot in the New Testament. Uh, he's mentioned in Acts 20, Ephesians 6, Titus 3, 2 Timothy 4. Uh, he's mentioned in Philemon and, of course, Colossians. And so really that spans an era of 20 years with Paul, serving alongside Paul. And so Paul had seen over that time that this was a guy he could rely on. This is someone who is faithful. See, that's what faithfulness means. It means you can be relied on. You're someone who keeps your promises. Someone whose word is your bond. Are you faithful? Is that what characterises you? Do you know when it comes to finding um, people to fill ministry positions in a church, the number one characteristic that, that you have to have is faithfulness. Okay? Like there's heaps of jobs that need doing, heaps of tasks, and heaps of them have um, certain skill set needed. Now you've got to have certain skills, like uh, look at Andrew over there with all those coloured buttons in front of him. There's skills needed. But do you know what's far more important than having skills? Faithfulness. Can you be relied on? That's the number one characteristic uh, that, that we look for in anyone who, who wants to do a task, who wants to go on a roster. Are you faithful? Uh, do you know when we get to the end of life, what is it that we want to hear from our Saviour's lips? Well done, good and faithful servant. <clears throat> See, faithfulness to Christ, that means faithful to his word. It means faithful to his calling, faithful to his people, faithful to his mission and faithful in obedience. Now, we're not saved by our faithfulness, thankfully, because otherwise not one of us would be saved. But we are saved for faithfulness. When Christ saves us, he saves us so that we would live a faithful life to him. And therefore, we should actually be looking to cultivate this characteristic in our lives um, by God's grace uh, to become people who are faithful in the Lord. And this is really the characteristic that defined Jesus himself, the faithful saviour, the one who came and, and did everything perfectly, even going to the cross. Christ is faithful in every way. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful because the, the Bible says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. And so you can fully rely on Christ. This is why you can trust Jesus with your whole life, absolutely depend on him, because he is faithful. And when we look to Christ as our faithful saviour, that's what will change us to be faithful servants of Christ. And so that's one of the outworkings of the gospel in your life. It's seen in the faithfulness that you show. So that's the first thing we see here. Uh, another thing we see here, another fruit of the gospel that we can see in the people Paul mentions is the friendship that they enjoyed. They were good friends. And 
When you look into a little bit of the backstory of each of the um, people that Paul mentions, you actually realize that the only way those guys could have been friends, the, the only explanation for it is the transforming power of the gospel. There's no other way that these guys that he talks about could actually be friends together. So take Onesimus, for example. Sorry, he's mentioned there in verse 9. Uh, now, Paul says Onesimus is one of you, which means he was from Colossae. And the Colossian church would have known him. Uh, Paul is sending him back to, really, his hometown uh, with this letter. The trouble is, for that church, having Onesimus turn up on a Sunday morning was a big problem uh, because everyone knew that Onesimus had left on some very contentious circumstances. Uh, we actually know a lot about Onesimus because we've got a little New Testament letter called Philemon, and it's all about Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. Uh, he belonged to his master Philemon. Philemon was a member of the Colossian church. But Onesimus had stolen from his master and done a runner. And that was a very serious crime in that day, in that culture. Uh, according to Roman law, that was punishable by death should the master decide to use that. And so Onesimus was in huge trouble but it turns out that when he was on the run, he met the Apostle Paul. And Paul reached out to Onesimus with the gospel. And Onesimus was saved. He repented of his life of rebellion. And he turned to Christ in faith, received him, Christ as his saviour. And as a result, Onesimus' life was completely turned around. Uh, in verse 9, that's why Paul can say he's now a faithful and beloved brother and in the letter to Philemon, Paul even goes so far as to call Onesimus a son to him. That's how close the bond was uh, with Paul. And now as a follower of Jesus, Onesimus only wanted to do the right thing. He was even willing to go back to his master. Uh, but of course, that was a very sticky situation. Uh, how would Philemon receive him? How would the church react when he comes back? Uh, you can imagine how awkward it, it would have been. But Paul has seen obvious repentance in Onesimus. And so he's very confident that if Philemon can forgive him, then they can actually be reconciled. The relationship can be put back together. Why? Because the gospel is powerful enough to produce repentance in those who have done wrong and forgiveness in those who have been wronged against. And when you've got repentance and forgiveness, then you have reconciliation. That's how it works. Paul even urges Philemon in the letter uh, to Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not as a bondservant, but as a brother in the Lord. See, that's the transforming power of the gospel. And that's the story of Onesimus. <clears throat> Now, next in the list, we, um, <clears throat> if we go to the, <clears throat> sorry, uh, oh, I think we'll be right. Uh, if we go to uh, verse 10, we've got um, Aristarchus, and uh, then we have uh, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and a fellow named Jesus called Justice. 
Uh, in verse 11, Paul says that these are the um, only men in the circumcision or of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Now, what does that all mean? He's saying that these are fellow Jews. Paul was a Jew. Here's some fellow Jews who were working alongside in the work of the gospel. Now, Paul says that was a comfort to him. Why? Because most of the opposition Paul received in his life was from fellow Jews who, who, who hated the um, talk of Jesus being the Messiah. And Paul received so much persecution from them. And yet here he has three fellow Jews who are actually serving alongside, you know, bearing all the scorn for proclaiming Christ as the Messiah. And that was a great comfort to Paul. But what's especially amazing is that Paul goes on to mention three more men who were serving with him. And those three men, uh, who were they? Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. They were Gentiles. And here we have Jews and Gentiles both serving the Lord together. Now that might not seem so significant to us, but back then that would have been one of the, you know, the eighth wonder of the world because Jews and Gentiles did not mix. They didn't get along. They didn't serve together. They hated each other. Uh, the Jews had a name for Gentiles, dogs. That's the way they treated each other. But here we see the gospel is powerful enough to reconcile social enemies. And let's just zoom in on Mark a little bit because Mark has a story of his own. Even here, notice, uh, if we go back to Mark, he says, uh, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, why would Mark need a special set of instructions for him to be welcomed? The answer is probably hinted at where Paul says that he's the cousin of Barnabas. And that instantly reminds us of something that happened, which we read in Acts 15, where there was a bust up over Mark, uh, a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas so much so that they actually split company. They stopped working together over Mark. Now, what, what did Mark do wrong? Well, on Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas, they took Mark along, and halfway through, Mark just up and left. We don't know why. Maybe the whole thing got too hard for him, but he just left. And that must have left a big hole in their uh, team. Now, when Paul and Barnabas were planning their second mission trip, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, but Paul understandably didn't. And they had an argument. And they split company. <laughs> and here, years later, we actually see Mark's back at Paul's side. Okay, isn't that incredible? Uh, and Paul calls Mark not a deserter. He doesn't say, you know, Mark, that, that useless guy. He calls Mark a comfort to me. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, which is Paul's last letter, he says about Mark that he is very useful uh, to me. So somewhere along the line, Paul, Barnabas and Mark were all able to reconcile. Um, you know, Paul didn't write Mark off for good, saying, well, if you're going to be like that, that's it. You're out forever. Don't want to see you again. No, no, they were able to reconcile. Why? Because the gospel is powerful enough 
to reconcile fallouts between believers. Did you hear that? The gospel is powerful enough to reconcile fallouts between believers. That's something that some of us really need to hear today. It's powerful enough to rebuild trust where trust has been broken. And so, look, when you look at these friendships in the Colossian church and in in the teams that were serving uh, with Paul, how can you explain all of that apart from the gospel of grace? Okay, because you've got a runaway slave, now a brother to his master. You've got Jews and Gentiles, people who are so different culturally, socially, even enemies, but now loving each other, working together for the Lord And how is it that someone who failed so dramatically can now be praised as a trustworthy worker in Christ? How could all of that come about? It's because the one who is reconciling all things through his shed blood on the cross, he's working that out right now in the lives of the people he saves. See, the the heart of Colossians is about Christ reconciling all things. He works that out in our lives now with each other, with others. And so that has some big implications for us today. And I'll give you two of them about friendship in the church. See, first we see here that friendship in the church, it cuts across all the social barriers. Social differences don't matter in the church. See, Paul's talking about real flesh and blood people who found in the gospel the power to overcome the differences that they had, power to overcome the barriers that were set up by society or by culture or by personal struggles. Okay, in every struggle, a barrier comes up. The gospel is the power to overcome that barrier. And so these men, they found in Christ the power to love and value people who were very different to them. Uh, Why? Because in Christ we actually have a bond that is far deeper than common interests. See, when I look out upon you here now, you know, I don't see a crowd of Collingwood supporters or a, a group of fishermen or, you know, things that bring people together. No, we're all so different, but what binds us together? The only thing that we all have in common is Christ. And that is more than enough to actually be good, close friends. Friendship, see, this is Christ is the power to love and value people who are different to you, where you can reach out, become friends with someone who you might not have anything else in common with but you have a deep bond and therefore you can have close friends in the church. Is that the case here? Is that true in your life? Here's another implication. Friendship in the church is something that can even happen on the other side of conflict. See, Mark, Onesimus, they're illustrations of that, that friendship can happen even on the other side of conflict. Uh, What is the gospel? The gospel is that God has turned enemies into friends by sending his son to die on the cross. See, God turns enemies into friends. 
The gospel is one of reconciliation. And when you know that God has done that for you, that reshapes your heart. That even creates a desire in you to want to reconcile to people that you've had a broken relationship with. See, the gospel creates the ability to admit faults. It creates the ability to forgive faults. And when those two things happen, reconciliation is the result. And so I wonder maybe how some of you here do find yourself in a conflict with another believer and it hasn't been resolved. Uh, what do you need to do? Okay, how does thinking about that in light of the cross, how does that change the way you're looking at that, that fallout? Okay, on your behalf, do you need to admit a fault or do you need to forgive a fault? Or maybe both. But when both are present, reconciliation is the result. And so we see that the gospel, it's powerful enough to bring friendships even on the other side of conflict. That's the power of the gospel. It's seen in the friendships that we enjoy. So we've seen, what does the gospel do? It produces faithfulness, true friendship. The third thing we see here is the, the fellowship that these people shared. The fellowship. Now, this is the main point of this passage. The fellowship they shared. <clears throat> and you can see it right through this passage. Uh, Ethan might have to do a bit of hunting here, but... I should have highlighted this, but um, Tychicus, the first one mentioned, he's called a fellow servant. And then Aristarchus in verse 10 is called a fellow prisoner. Uh, the three Jews in verse 10 and 11, they were called fellow workers. So fellow servant, fellow prisoner, fellow workers. Here's this word fellow, it keeps popping up. What's it getting at? It's talking about fellowship. That these men that Paul mentions, they're not just good friends, but they are men who are in fellowship with him, who are serving alongside of him in the work of the gospel. These are men who served, who worked, and even suffered in service to the Lord with Paul. And it's not just those guys, but everyone he mentions, they're all in fellowship with him. That's, that's the fellowship they shared. And you're probably wondering, well, hang on, what's the difference between friendship and fellowship? Well, there is a difference. Friendship means uh, to have a close relationship with someone. But fellowship is so much more. Fellowship includes friendship, but it's much bigger than that. It actually means, in the New Testament, fellowship is more about sharing a task together. It's about being in a mission together. Uh, working alongside one another for a particular cause. See, when we talk about fellowship in the church, what do we normally mean when we say, let's have a time of fellowship? What are we talking about? We're talking about chatting and drinking coffee after the service. Uh, that's a little bit off the mark. That's more friendship. Fellowship is actually about being together in the work of the gospel. Uh, that, that's the heart of Christian fellowship. If you look at the way it's used throughout the New Testament, you realise that uh, Paul particularly, he talks about that when Christians get together for the, the, the mission of proclaiming Christ, that's what fellowship is, when you're with other Christians doing that. 
And you can see that a lot in this passage. Uh, you know, Paul talks about the Jews as fellow workers, but he also talks about um, Epaphras, another fellow worker. And Epaphras, he was part of the work. Epaphras planted the church in Colossae. And uh, he wasn't at Colossae when Paul wrote the letter. Why not? Well, because he had to go and find Paul and get some advice on some false teaching that had come up. So how come Epaphras didn't bring the letter back? He ended up in jail <laughs> with Paul. Uh, you find that out in Philemon 23. Um, but anyway, Epaphras, he wasn't physically present with the guys at Colossae, with, with the church. He wasn't there. But did that mean he was no longer in fellowship with them? Not at all. If, even if you're not present with other believers, you can still be in fellowship with them. And we see that in Epaphras because have a look at verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and in Heriopolis. So here we see Epaphras. He's still in fellowship with the believers at Colossae, even though he's not in the same room as them. How did he do it? By prayer. See, that's, fellowship includes that, praying for other people. Uh, we have fellowship with anyone that we're working with in the cause of the gospel. This is why, you know, when missionaries turn up, uh, we're going to have some missionaries come, I think, in a month's time or so, or maybe two months, I can't remember. But um, when they come, they'll, they'll say something like, will you partner with us in the mission work? And partner is actually a fellowship word. You could go through the New Testament and instead of writing fellowship, you could have partnership. It would mean the same thing. Uh, when you become a prayer partner with a missionary, when you become a financial supporter of a work in India or in Mount Magnet or in Latrobe University, you are actually in fellowship with those people that you're supporting. That's how comprehensive this word fellowship is in the New Testament. It's to be involved in the gospel work with other believers. And as we've learned in Colossians, every believer is in fellowship with Christ. That means we're in fellowship with every other believer. That means we're all on mission for Jesus. If we're in fellowship, we're on mission in Jesus. And Jesus is building his church. How does he do it? He does it through his people working together, proclaiming the gospel. And last week, remember that, we, we saw that we all have the responsibility, whether young or old, everyone in between, to pray, to pray for open doors for the gospel. We all have the responsibility to make the most of the opportunities that come our way. And this passage, it just reinforces that everyone is needed in this work. Maybe the thing that comes across the most in this passage is that Paul was never a one-man band he could never achieve the things he achieved without a team around him. And that's so true. That's how it works. A team of faithful friends sharing the fellowship of the gospel. That's you know, the summary of this passage. And that's why we must never forget 
that we here, we exist to serve Christ and we do that as a team. And everyone's on the team. See, everyone has a part to play. Think of the illustration that Paul uses of the body. How does a body function? When every little part is doing its job. That's how we work. That's the fellowship we share. Now, uh, there is one sad story uh, in this passage. One sad story. Of all the people Paul mentions, Demas uh, is a sad story because um, we don't hear anything about him here. Uh, there he is there at verse, end of verse 14. Now, Paul doesn't say anything about Demas here. But when you go to Paul's final letter to, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says about Demas that he was in love with this present world and therefore he deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And we don't know what Paul means there. Does that mean that he deserted the faith altogether? Or did he just desert the ministry for worldly reasons? Uh, we don't know. But whatever that means, it was a tragedy. And it's, I don't know about you, but I find that quite confronting because he, he was a man who served alongside the Apostle Paul. Now, you'd think that in that situation, you'd be pretty um, solid as a Christian. You know, you'd be around Paul, <laughs> hearing Paul teach. You'd think you would be a solid Christian. And yet he doesn't end well. Isn't that scary? But Paul puts it down to the love of the world. He says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And that's something that we're actually all prone to. We're all prone to letting the love of the world really crowd out the love of Christ in our hearts. And so this reminds us that the gospel that we are in fellowship to proclaim to the world is the gospel that we need to embrace in our own hearts. Okay, even in ministry, it's easy to be um, you know, sharing the gospel, teaching the Bible, and yet not be t grabbing hold of it yourself, you know, feeding on it yourself. Uh, the love of the world can crowd that out. And so we need to make sure we are keeping our eyes on Jesus, looking to the cross, you know, remembering the grace of Christ. It's Christ's grace that will keep us in fact, that's where Paul um, signs off in this letter to the Colossians. He ends by saying, grace be with you. And that's really a summary of everything he's talking, been talking about. It's all about grace. It's all a, an undeserved gift. All that we have, all that we have in Christ, it's given to us by grace. See, we're saved by grace. We're transformed by grace. We're kept to the end by grace. And so we need to keep our eyes on Christ, who is the source of grace. Uh, all we need is in him. You are complete in him. And so don't ever lose sight of him. Don't ever take your eyes off Christ, the one who is sufficient for, for all that we need. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, list of credits uh, that show us uh, people in a time and a place where they had huge uh, struggles and opposition uh, similar to what we have today and they also had to battle things like the love of the world and, and even the fear of 
what people think of them. Um, but Lord, we see here that by grace they triumphed. By grace they were productive and fruitful. And so, Father, we, we thank you for this uh, lesson that we have here for us today, that we are part of this work and that you call us to be faithful. You call us to be uh, friends together and to be in fellowship in the work of the gospel. So, O oh Lord, raise us up for this task. Send us out. Keep us, Father, from the love of the world. May we every day be drawing near to Christ, feeding on him by faith. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be pleased to use us to spread the gospel in this place and in this suburb, in this city, and even to the ends of the earth. And we pray for those who are working in difficult places in this day, Father, that you would be with them and protect them and enable them to serve you faithfully. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>